Yeah. I love it because I have a lot of, you know, some clients where they'll ask me, well, how can I get to six figures? Oh, I need more certifications. I need to get my MBA. Oh, I need to pay my dues. Oh, I need more work experience to get there. Yes and no. No, you don't need an MBA for the most part. Either welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Get a Podcast. I'm your host Zeke, and in this episode, I have Claudia Miller to speak about job search. Now, before we bring in today's episode, or the pay this message. Hello, this is Lafayette. And I'm Carlos. From Nerds Talking the Podcast. That's right. Where we talk about everything from UFOs, yep. comic books, like movies, uh-huh. streaming services, yeah. conspiracy theories, oh. ghosts, mm. video games, yeah. and more. Kick ass. All on Nerds Talking the Podcast. You can find us every Friday with new episodes on all digital platforms where you find your favorite podcast, Nerds Talking, the podcast. Now back to the show. I hope you have a nice day and enjoy the show. So thank you for joining the podcast. Hi, I'm so excited to be here, Zeke, especially about some of like the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Yes. Cool. So like every um, podcast. What would your audience only be and how would you like to represent it? So I consider myself an ambitious person overall. I, you know, got good grades, did internships and, you know, was very involved in school. I had a full ride scholarship. So, you know, I expected to have so many job interviews and offers and I was going to handpick and select the best one because they're going to be all fighting for me. And I unfortunately graduated with one interview and thankfully they offered me a job, but I clearly didn't know something. I just getting good grades, networking, internships, being active wasn't going to be enough because clearly it only got me one interview. So I needed to know how to figure things out. How do I get accelerated? How can I get interviews? How can I send out? So that's really what prompted me to start on this like journey for me to figure out for myself. Since... I, you know, I'm the only one in my family that really graduated you know, from high school, really. So let alone master's and you know, bachelor's degree. So I couldn't rely so much on my family or neighbors or anyone I grew up because a lot of them didn't have college degrees. So I had to figure this out on my own or had to lean on other people, which wasn't in my network to figure that out. And that's how I, you know, through trial and error, and it took me about four or five years but then that's when I was able to successfully pivot into different industries. I got multiple times at least 30K salary increases. And now I just help others, you know, get up to 100K salary increases and, you know, get jobs within 90 days or less as a career coach. Nice, nice. And before we get into all of that, how would you like to represent your origin story? I would say you know, what got you here won't get you there. I love that book. And it's really because, you know, what got me really good in school and I got good grades wasn't what got me to like job search or, you know, in my professional career. So I had to learn a different side set of skills, network and really gather. And even then, you know, what got me to be very successful in my career is I had to learn different skill sets to be a successful business owner. So now it's always like these new challenges for me. And I always have to almost unlearn what I just learned, you know, in the past few years in order to get me to the next step. And I believe it's going to continue to happen. And I'm okay with it because 
I only use beliefs when they serve me. And once they don't, uh, I try to really design a new mindset that would serve me best. That makes sense. So now let's get into topics in hand. So a lot of times when on these podcast episodes, these people who are in college or BC graduated, a lot the first thing always comes to them is what I'm gonna do after college. So what can what can things that students can do to help them before then and after? What I would recommend is, you know, obviously you wanna be good, have good grades and network and everything, but what's really gonna get you like those job offers, which I wish someone had told me instead of having that crippling situation of only getting one interview is starting to understand and look at what you're interested in. So you can always go to the office of career services. You can go to your student employment office. And I used to work at these offices. So that's why I know there's a lot of free resources out there for students or recent graduates and really understand like what you want to do. And if you don't just do internships. So how can you start your job search? Well, work with a resume writer. For the most part, universities tend to have um, resume writers free of charge or for a very minimal amount. If you are, you know, maybe you work with them. Maybe I've had clients tell me, you know, I try to go with the resume writer in my university and it didn't get me any results. Well, that's when I recommend resume writing or working with a resume writer. So I actually write resumes as well for my clients. And on average, for every 10 jobs they apply to, they get anywhere between two to four interviews. It used to be higher before COVID. Now it's a lot more competitive now, but it doesn't mean you can't get interviews. So that's what I would focus on. So getting a resume writer and you're like, well, how do I know I need a resume writer? If you're applying for more than 10 jobs and not getting at least two to four interviews, you need a resume writer. And so once you have figured it out, okay, now you're getting interviews, you want to start preparing for those interviews. And I would actually recommend to do it before you even start interviewing. Most people start interviewing or preparing for their interviews two to three, maybe a week before their interviews is coming up. Usually there's a short turnaround time. They'll send you an email saying, hey, Zeke, we're interested in interviewing you. Let us know your availability for the next week or two. And, you know, even if you extend it out two weeks out, that's only two weeks of preparation. When I work with my clients, I work with them anywhere between four to six weeks before they start interviewing. So most candidates can't compete with my clients. If you're up against one of my clients, I'm sorry, but you cannot compete with them because they've already been working on this for at least four to six weeks. When you, most people tend to have a few days or at most like maybe two weeks. So it's prepared for these interviews. What questions are they going to ask you? We already know they're going to ask you the common interview questions. Tell me about yourself. What is your greatest weakness? What is your greatest strength? How would others describe you? Like these questions are always tend to get like 80, 90% of the time, they always get asked. So start preparing. How do you want to brand yourself? What do you want to highlight? What are some of those achievements? And if you're like, I don't even know where to start. Well, then that means you need to start networking before you even start interviewing or applying to jobs. If you're interested in a marketing coordinator role, for example, or like an entry data analyst, well, reach out to current data analyst and, you know, whether it's on the campus directory, like past, you know, alumni, you can look up alumni, alumni and see who graduated from your university and just say, hey, I'm an alumni, I'm about to, or I'm about to graduate and I'm interested in a data analyst role. I see you've been working now for at least a year or two and you also graduated you know, can you tell me a little bit more about the interview process? What is the biggest challenge? You know, what are some skill sets that you're surprised you have to know for a data analyst role besides the obvious? 
And you want to gather this intel so that way you can leverage it when you're interviewing. And you could even reach out to like managers that are managing data scientists and ask them, you know, what is the hardest skill to hire for when looking for a data analyst? You know, what, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what makes a candidate stand out? Like during the interview, what is your most memorable um, candidate that you've interviewed? Ask these questions. And I like to say that it's almost asking for the answers to the test. Hey, I know what the test is about, what questions they are. Give me the answers. And then I'm going to craft and write and workshop an answer that I know is going to sound great during the interview process. So now that you know what is the hardest skill to hire for, that's what I would lead with. Oh, tell me about yourself. Oh, you know, I am a recent graduate and my background has been in data analysis. So I've been managing big data, but my greatest skill set and what I'm you know, most proud of is um, I'm great at business acumen. I can speak to both technical and non-technical teams and I can write stories based on data, depending how we slice and dice it. In case, let's just say that they said um, the hardest part about data, hiring a data analyst is someone that can be great at storytelling. So that's what you want to lead with because we already know that's going to make you stand out from the competition. And we gather that information through networking. So that's what I would recommend for like recent graduates. If you're or you already graduated like a year or two, um, you know, that's how you want to start the process. And all of a sudden, people are going to come to you asking like interviews, getting job offers. I had clients where they offer them a same job later that day. Like we know, Zeke, that you're interviewing other companies. Uh, we typically have another interview schedule, but we know we want you. Here's the job offer. And if you sign in 24 hours and you stop interviewing with other companies, we would love to have you. We'll even give you a retention bonus. And that's honestly, I wish somebody would have told me. And how, that's how I would start job searching differently had I just been recently like about to graduate. Actually, very valuable stuff. I remember back in class, people were saying, go on LinkedIn, find your alumni, and just reach out mm-hmm. to them. So yeah. she does, you have a comment on, I think a comment. Yeah, and even, like I said, um, same like same program. Oh, like you graduate from like the School of Business as well. I did too. Or maybe you intern at a company and they interned as well, or they currently work there. That could also be another, like, hey, Zeke, I noticed that you worked at, I don't know, uh, PlayStation. Uh, I, I currently, I interned there. You know, I was wondering if you have, like, a few minutes to talk a little bit more about how it is being a data analyst. And I would love to tap into your expertise and insights. Nice. People are always happy to help. <laughs> if you yes. ask the right way and the timing, people are always happy to help. Definitely. And so let's break. Let's now break all that down. So what is like job search? Because it's just looking for a job or what kind of like details does my need in terms of job searching? It's always helpful when you have a self, at least an understanding of who you are a little bit. So if you're an introvert and you feel uncomfortable, you know, speaking to people, probably should not look for a job in sales. It tends to be very uh, client facing, there's a lot of negotiations happening. You're going to probably have uncomfortable conversations when, you know, they try to like get a low offer, get discounts. So knowing yourself, even am I an introvert, introvert, extrovert, or both? Do I like numbers? Personally, for me, I hate anything like detail oriented. So coding, probably not a good feel for me because I am, I cannot stand, I get burned out really quickly. I get, um, I procrastinate because I hate that type of work. But if it's related to sales and business and revenue and operations, 
all of a sudden I'm happy, I'm excited, but starting to know yourself and what classes did you like? Which ones did you dislike? Why did you enjoy it? Did you enjoy public speaking? I love speaking in front of people. So again, I know that about myself. And if you are, you know, wanting to be a influencer, but you are afraid of cameras, you're an introvert, you don't like to talk to people, you don't like to be, you know, all these other things like, well, is that really the best avenue for you? Maybe let's look at other sources or other um, outlets. And that usually happens through, again, networking, asking people, what do you do on a daily basis? What will most people be surprised about the role that maybe most people don't know? You know, um, I'm an introvert. Do you think this would be an ideal job for me? Are what do you consider yourself an introvert, or an extrovert? You know, asking those questions, it's going to give you a lot more insight, and you're not going to know what you want to go into. Some people might like, oh, I've always dreamed about doing this, but most of us are like, I think I want to do this, or I this was my major. I'm not exactly sure where I want to go or what company. I just know that I want experience. I want to make you know, at least a decent wage or some really good like salary starting in, but. As far as exactly what I want to be in the next 15, 20 years, I have no idea. And don't feel bad if you don't have passion. My belief is fat passion is really fueled by depending by how much we are exposed to. So for example, I love being on podcasts now. Have you asked me before I started getting on podcasts? Like, Claudia, is podcasting your passion? I would be like, I don't know. I've never done podcasting. I have no idea. I know I enjoy public speaking, but... I don't know if podcast is going to be my passion. And guess what? I love being on podcasts now that I've done it and been exposed to it. But some of us don't know a lot of our passions yet because we haven't done enough. And the way to find your passion or develop a passion is by exposing yourself to more. Take courses, take certifications, take trainings and workshops, expose yourself and then say, do I like this type of work? Yes or no. And if so, why not? Why don't I like it? Oh, it's having to do with like very detailed stuff and I absolutely hate it. Well, okay. That gives me a little bit more insight into what I should gravitate towards that. I know I can thrive in. Makes sense. If you know who yourself, then you know, at least have a better idea of where to go in terms of what you want to do on a daily basis. Yes. Yes. And then let's go to the next step. Let's talk about job search. Let's talk about the interview Mm -hmm. and how to prepare for an interview. So like I said, it, it, a lot of it comes to preparation. Prepare for the expected and the unexpected. We know they're going to ask these common interview questions. Start preparing your answers. Don't think that you're going to wing it. Or some people say, well, once I get in the interview, I'll know what to say. Guess what? You're not. You know, you, you kind of just, you know, people tend to have tendencies that are giveaways that they're nervous or they're trying to figure it out and kind of you know, wing it on the spot. And a good uh, teller is if people are looking up and down or to the side, like, yeah, so that's, um, hmm. you know, that's usually a telling sign. So instead, prepare for those answers. And, you know, look on Glassdoor. Glassdoor is a really great resource to look up, you know, interviews, interview questions, either for that company or for that specific role. You can Google, you know, common interview questions for data analysts and pull up those questions. Do you know what you want to say, how to say it? And, you know, what is a good achievement? And some of you might say, well, I don't have much achievement, Claudia. I'm barely graduating from college. Well, what are some projects that you've worked on? Based on the networking you've done, what is one thing that keeps coming up over and over again? Is it those soft skills? Is it that 
business acumen? Is it that special programming language that you know? Maybe you did a project on it. So if they were to ask you, you know, tell me like how well do you deal with rejection? You know, in case that you're you do want to go into that sales or marketing role or you know consulting. Well, if they're gonna, if we already found our research. They're gonna ask us that question. Let's start preparing for it. You know, how do I deal with rejection? What are they? What is the question behind the question? So most people think that when they ask you, tell me about your weakness, you should lie about it and say something like a positive thing and make it look negative, but it's really positive. An example of that is, oh, one of my weaknesses is that I'm such a hard worker. So I tend to work a lot and I, you know, tend to say yes all the time and I have trouble saying no. That's not a really weakness. What they're really asking you with that question is, one, are you self-aware of your you know, imperfections or maybe skill sets you're not that good at? Two, are you willing to be vulnerable and be able to you know, discuss that with somebody else and share that? And three, what do you do when you do have a weakness? Do you just say, well, I'm just bad at public speaking. That's just, that's just the way that I was made. That's how I was born. There's nothing much I can do about it. Or are you that person that says, hey, I'm not the best at public speaking, especially when I don't know those people. Usually I'm comfortable with like a one-on-one if I, once I get to know them, but once it becomes three or five or seven or 10 or plus, and I don't know people, I get nervous. I, you know, my palms get sweaty. I, you know, get hot flashes and I get jittery and I tend to stumble. And I just, a lot of things happen when I have to do any public speaking. So what I'm trying to do is get better. So I just joined Toastmasters group. And currently, you know, working through that, I know it's going to take some time. I'm not where I want to be yet, but I know it's a matter of time of when I'll get there. That comes out genuine because it it is true. I have a client where she said, you know, my biggest weakness is that I tend to be quiet. I am an introvert, so I will not be the loudest person in the room. I do have a lot of value to add and I do need to work around getting better around, you know, speaking up, especially when I know I have great ideas. And it's funny because my husband is an extrovert. So what I'm doing is trying to, you know, make sure I hang around with more of his friends and I try to make it a goal of speaking up a little bit more than I usually would. And that's how I'm trying to get better at it. So like that's again, these answers come out genuine and then there's a story behind it because it is true. And we're saying, hey, we're not perfect. And don't say like, yeah, I'm a bad public speaker. So I've been taking workshops and I, I public speak in front of like a thousand people, but I consider to, that to be my weakness. It's like, okay, sure. So clearly you are not good at being self-aware. You are not coachable. You seem to, or want people to think you're perfect. So you would never tell people when you need help or need assistance and you're not going to do anything about it. So, you know, maybe you're not a good employee for me to hire. I don't need a know-it-all. I don't need a, hey, I'm perfect, but uh, this is my first entry-level job. Nobody wants to hire that. Be genuine. Now, if your weakness is project management and you're applying for a project manager role, that's probably not (laughs) a good weakness. And I would even say, like, maybe you should look into another role if that's currently one of your biggest weaknesses. That also makes sense. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then let's say we move on. Now we have the job. How do we negotiate? Um, So understand. Yeah, so I would say it starts with mindset. I can give you all the best strategies, but if, you know, your listeners are thinking, well, how do I negotiate? 
Or why would I negotiate? I should just be good if I get a job. I have no experience. Another one is if I negotiate, I'm going to come off as greedy. What if they take back the offer? Um, I should, you know, I shouldn't rock the boat. So if you have these thoughts coming up, just even say, hey, negotiate your salary. And you're like, I can't. All these thoughts are coming through. Jot them down and understand that. uh, Because again, I can give you the best strategies, but if you're not going to take action, there's no point. So once you understand your mindset, you have to reframe it. I actually say that negotiating your salary makes you look confident and it's a confidence trigger. What that means is you're good at having uncomfortable conversations and making them not uncomfortable. And two, it's, you know, when I see someone negotiating their salary, it tells me that one, they understand their market value, two, they are confident, and three, they, for me, it's like they send out, they're more likely to be a team or a team leader or a leader overall. So Zeke, if you negotiate your salary and you did it in a great way, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I, we can, we can give you that much. So we we're happy to have you on board. If I have anything coming up related to contract negotiation, working with vendors or negotiating, I'm going to think about you over all your other peers, because one, you did it with me. So I'm going to entrust you with more responsibilities which exposes you more to more promotions and um, upward mobility. Why? Because you negotiated your salary. So once you change your mindset and saying, hey, actually not negotiating my salary is going to potentially rock the boat or it's going to put me behind in my career, I need to negotiate, then that's when we can move to next steps. And what I tell clients is I, I, I have talked to a lot of hiring managers, HR people, recruiters, And the most surprising thing is when they tell me when they send a job offer, let's just say we have a budget of 60,000 for a data analyst role. They'll offer Zeke, you're interviewing. I'm like, Hey, I think you're actually a really good candidate. Let me offer you 50 or $52,000. I'm not going to give you the 60,000 because if you negotiate, then I'm still within budget. I've allocated or the department's allocated 60,000. So you're like, Hey, Claudia, I want 60,000. I'm like, you know what? We can make that work. Actually, that's my budget. So that's why I usually most hiring managers don't tend to go on the higher end of that salary range. So know that there's always money at the table and they expect and anticipate you negotiating. So that's why they don't typically end up offering on the top end. Now, if they, if they do, then they'll say, Hey, you know what? Actually, that's the most we can do. Um, But let me see what I can do about it. Or you can say, you know what? Um, I, I totally understand. I'd be more than happy to discuss benefits um, where I think that it can get us to that number. You need Again, you need to have a plan. And the best way to have a plan is to prepare in advance and practicing. I'm The way I'm saying it comes out like, oh, it's very conversational. It's like, oh, as a matter of fact, it doesn't sound confrontational. It doesn't sound like I'm nervous. It doesn't sound like I'm being slimy salesperson. It's because I've practiced this so much. I can comfortably talk about this, say it, not bad an eye. And I saw I'm very nonchalant about it. I can't towards practicing. So same thing with interviews, your interview answers, practice them. Practicing saying like, Hey, I'm actually looking for a salary of $70,000. Is there any way we can close that gap? And then just stay quiet. Let them figure out how they're going to close that gap. Hey, if they want to pay you in pennies to close that gap, $10,000 in pennies, I don't care. As long as we can get to the number, I'm happy. Maybe they can offer you a $5,000 sign bonus, increase your salary by $2,000, and give you $3,000 in stock to get you to the number. 
Okay, that's fine. Like I said, how can, you know, is there a way you can get to the number? Let them get creative on how they can close that. So instead of them thinking, should we give them that 10,000? All of a sudden they're thinking, how can I give them that 10,000? Maybe I have so much in salary, but maybe I can give them a sign-on bonus, a relocation bonus, maybe some additional stock options or a, a professional stipend. And that can get us to that number. We change and reframe the question, not if they should give me, instead, how can they give me this amount? We'll definitely be taking these notes into the future. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to take one step back and go back to interviewing. Mm -hmm. So what questions do you ask the interviewer when you're interviewing? There's many different questions depending on the role, the industry. Uh, but I would, you know, one thing I like to ask is, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, your top employee within your department and what makes them a top employee? And that's going to give you some insights depending on what you're looking for. If they say, you know what, my top employee is the first one in the office, the last one out, they're always working weekends, they're always there for everyone, you know, and they're always so um, humble and, you know, they've been in the role for six years and, you know, they, they continue to do amazing work. Then I'm like, wait, in order for me to be considered a top employee, I got to work weekends, nights. I have to stay in the same role for six years and, you know, do everyone else's work while everyone else gets promoted. Like, yeah, not things. I'm not, I'm not interested in trying to compete with that. But if they were to say, hey, you know, my top employee actually is an avid learner. They do, you know, they, they ask for different skill sets. So I give them opportunities and one of them is trying to be manager. So I'm letting them lead team meetings and, you know, I'm able to do so because they're, they do a great job. They're always looking to learn and they're trainable and coachable. All of a sudden, you know, like this, this tells them more about the manager than any, than the person itself. And another question I like to ask is, you know, can you tell me what is the hardest skill set to hire for this role? And, or why are you looking to hire someone externally as opposed to internally? Use those answers in your closing statement. You know, I know I'd be an, a great asset to the department, especially since you're looking for someone external. And I know I can bring these specific skill sets and values. And I know I can be an asset to the company. And, you know, as you mentioned, the hardest skill to hire for is soft skills. Uh, you know, one of the things that my greatest strengths as well that I forgot to mention is I am great with people. I was vice president at my club. And I also am, you know, I volunteer here or I go to church and I, I'm able to help and serve other, you know, uh, marginalized communities. All of a sudden you want to highlight that skill set. But again, it's all about asking the answers to the test. It's like saying, hey, can you give me a reason why you should hire me? Yes. And they'll give them the reasons. You're like, great. Well, I think you should hire me because to your point, I can deliver A, B, and C, and D. And you're looking to achieve this. I can help you get there. So that will be like my another recommendation I have towards interviewing. But again, it, it all happens with practicing. And the last question I recommend all my clients to ask is, you know, Zeke, based on everything we discussed today, um, you know, do I have your support in moving forward to next steps? If they say, yes, you know what, Zeke, I think you're great. I think you'd be a great fit for the role. You'll be hearing from us. We're going to move you to the next interview round. You'll be speaking with my boss and blah, blah, blah. Now you can walk away with that interview saying, okay, great. 
I had the next interview. I'm not stressing about it. I'm not worried about like, oh my God, I, I forgot to mention this, or I shouldn't have said this, or I didn't, I don't think I answered that question very well, or I forgot to answer the second part. You don't have to worry about that because they already told you, yes, you're moving forward. Now, if they say, you know what, Zeke, we're really looking for someone with a little bit more experience. I know you're just graduating. Okay. You know, thank you for sharing that. Is there something specifically about someone that has experience that you're specifically looking at? Well, you know, usually we want someone with a little bit more work experience um, that's familiar working corporate setting. You know, thanks, thanks again for that feedback. You know, I may not have a job, but work experience, but I have worked in internships and I have worked in corporations or I volunteered, or I've been part of this mentorship fellowship program with corporations where they connect us with just different mentors. And as far as my skill set, you know, if you're worried about, you know, emails and everything, you know, we've taught, I've taught courses. I've also taken these trainings. I've taken this Udemy or LinkedIn learning class on how to um, um, have email skills. I mean, some of these things that employers say are, are a little bit absurd, but then again, I've had seen some you know, first hires where they'll send inappropriate things through work email that they shouldn't have and they don't know email etiquette. So if those are the the reasons why, or let's just say you've never taken a course on email etiquette, then you can send in your thank you email. Thanks again for so much for the interview. It was really insightful, the feedback you provided. Because of your feedback, it really got me thinking, I went ahead and enrolled in this LinkedIn learning class where it talks about email etiquette. So that way I can refine my skill sets and become, so that way when I do work in the workplace, I have a better understanding of that, you know, corporate work etiquette um, that a lot of companies are looking for. And I hope that, you know, um, this is just the beginning and I'm looking to go with a company that I can grow and really refine and sharpen my skill set because I am, you know, ambitious, hungry, and I'm willing to learn and do the work that it needs to in order for me to be successful. Everything in life can be learned, but it's just, if you don't know why they're not moving you to next steps, you're not going to know what to say. So ask them. Makes sense. So a lot of repeating things on practice and preparation. Yes. Yeah, preparation and practice. Well, like I said, you that's more than most people do. They don't prepare. May, some of them may practice, but like I said, I most still practice up to two weeks. If you're ingrained and subconsciously you're trying to memorize these answers, all of a sudden you're not worrying about what to say. Now you can focus on your personality, building rapport. Um, Zeke, by the way, I saw that you have a podcast. That's interesting. I have a podcast as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I, I mean, how do you deal with like guest cancellations or, you know, do you repurpose content? All of a sudden you can infuse that personality because you're not worrying what to say. Now you're, you're focusing on that person, reading their body language, focusing on your body language. And like I said, talking about a little bit more and building that rapport that uh, will really make you stand out. So now that we have the job, we did it for a couple of years and we want to change. How should somebody go about that? So I would backtrack a little bit. And I always tell clients, if you're an individual contributor, meaning you're not managing people, even a team lead is an individual contributor, then you want to focus the first six months I would say three to six months learning the job, then the six to 18 months making the job better. Your goal is to always make the job better than what you came in. So if it took 10 days to process whatever accounts receivable, then try to make it, how can you get it to seven or eight, 
seven or eight days. How can we make this better? What are some of the bottlenecks? Is there a form that's always missing information? Maybe you want to talk to that person before that you know, does the paperwork and then sends it to you saying, you know what, um, I, I wanted to know a little bit more about your process if you're able to find these numbers because it does slow down and I know that we want to make this process faster. So understanding that is really going to help you advance in your career. All of a sudden, you're going to start seeing a lot of promotions, getting visibility towards leadership. But then you want to start thinking about it. What is next on this job before you need to? So let's just say you're a marketing coordinator and you want to continue marketing. You love marketing. It's something you really enjoy. Well, the next step is marketing associate and start reaching out to marketing associates and look at job postings. What are the requirements for marketing associates? And then highlight in green the skills you have. Highlight in yellow the skills you sort of kind of have, but maybe you don't have certifications or you haven't done enough projects. And then highlight in red um, skill sets you don't have. And you want to make sure you have some red in there. Otherwise, there's you're staying stagnant. And then look at, you know, is it something like required? Do you have the requirements? If not, start working on your requirements so that when, when you are ready to apply to those jobs, you already had and built those skill sets. You don't have to waste time another year trying to build those skill sets, even though you've been ready already for this next role. So that proactive approach and preparation is really going to help you get ahead. So if you're an individual contributor, the rule of thumb is anywhere between, you should be in your job for two to three years at most, and then you should be moving to the next job. If you're like a supervisor manager, it should be anywhere between three to five years. And if you're a director, um, a senior director, it's anywhere between five to 10 years. And if you're a VP, usually it's around, you know, 10 to 15, 20 years or so, depending on the situation. But like, that's the rule of thumb. So if you've been in your job now for more than three years as an individual, individual contributor, you start looking into what your next step is and then figuring out you know, what do you need to do in order to get there. Got it. Cool. And then let's move on to how to create six figures. As yeah, I love it because I, I have a lot of, you know, some clients where they'll ask me, well, how can I get to six figures? Oh, I need more certifications. I need to get my MBA. Oh, I need to pay my dues. Oh, I need more work experience to get there. Yes and no. No, you don't need an MBA for the most part. If you want to get an MBA because you want to get an MBA, great. If you've done your research and you know that you want to become, I don't know, a chief marketing officer and 90% of them tend to have their master's in marketing, okay, maybe you start preparing and looking into it. Maybe look for a company that'll pay for your master's degree so that way it comes out free. But you want to make sure you create a plan. And one the biggest mistake that I see people, they'll say, I want a six-figure job, but I just can't seem to get it. I never get interviews. I get low offers. I also see them apply to jobs that are not six figures. But let's just say they're making 60. They're applying to jobs that are 65 to 68,000. And they expect to get a, a six-figure or a $100,000 salary offer? No, no, that's not going to happen. And the analogy I like to use is it's like trying to buy a Chanel bag at the dollar store. You are not going to find a Chanel bag at the dollar store. So you are not going to find a six-figure job looking for 50, 60K jobs. So create a step ladder. If you're currently making 40 and maybe the next job you want to get is 60 to 70K, Again, you want to do that analysis of saying or audit, 
I have these skills. I don't have these skills, but maybe I shouldn't need to start. Fo- they said they need like a requirement project management certificate. Okay. And that job is going to jump me to 70,000. I'm currently at 40 or 50. Let me work on the next six or 12 months on that certification. So once I've been in my role for three years, I can apply to that project manager role. And I'm going to look for project manager roles that are paying 70,000 or more. Once you have that project manager role, what is my next step? Do you enjoy project management? Yes or no. Maybe you want to become senior project manager. Okay. That's going to get me to like the 95, hundred K. And maybe I should go into a technology company because they didn't tend to get paid more. What do I need to become a senior project manager at a tech company? Let's look at job postings and see what I need to start developing now before I want to apply to that job. Once you get to that job, well, now you want to be director of project management office. And again, that step. And for me, I went from like making 36,000 to six figures in about six, seven years. So like I said, I created that value ladder, that step ladder. I wasn't making, like, I was, there was a point I was making 42,000. Guess what? I knew I wanted to make at least 75,000 in my next job. So I only focused on jobs that paid 70 to 75K plus. I wasn't looking at jobs making 50. I wasn't looking at jobs making 60. I was only looking at jobs and applying to jobs making over 70K. Well, how do I know how much they're making? Well, LinkedIn and Indeed, you can filter out jobs based on salary. You can quickly go on Glassdoor and see like what the salary range is. There will be a discrepancy. Like for example, project management, project manager, I think it comes anywhere between 50 to like 120,000. So then I look at, okay, well, what industries tend to pay more? Oh, technology companies. Great. Let me look at their job postings. And then again, I'm going to filter these jobs based on salary. And then once I got my 75K role, then I want to make 100K. What jobs, again, I, it's, it's a rinse and repeat process. And that's how I was able to get there really quickly um, in getting there because I was intentional, focused, and I prepared and I outbeat the competition every single time. So again, plan, see where, see a pathway, and then work towards that path. Yes. And so with that path, how early should somebody think about that? Should they think about it when they're in college and high school, saying this is what I want to do, or should they still, or like after they get their first job? No, I mean you can always explore. I mean, even if you get your first job, you're like, hey. I, I graduated my bachelor's with a focus in data analytics. Um, you know, got your first data analyst role. Start assessing, do you like this or not? Talk to senior data analysts. How are they doing? Do they Are you looking for a job that's work-life balance? Well, ask them, do you have work-life balance? Can you tell me how many hours do you work? You can talk to data senior data analysts across various industries. Hey, you work at PlayStation. How is it being a data analyst at PlayStation? And again, you connect with people, just find them on LinkedIn and find a common denominator. Oh, we went to the same college. We went to the same high school. We're from the same town. Oh, we worked at the same company. We follow the same organizations. I mean, there's just so many ways that you can build a connection with someone and then start reaching out to them and asking questions. Again, the more you start learning and being self-aware, so assess like, oh, I hate doing this type of work at my job. Why do you hate it? Is it because it's so easy? Is it because the process could be better? Is it because it's frustrating because of the bureaucracy around it? Is it because it has to do a lot with numbers? Is it because it the process has been overcomplicated and it could be resolved really quickly? Like, why do you hate this so much or dislike it? And then find the next job that you won't have to do much of that. 
the more we do of what we enjoy, the tent, the more we tend to be um, passionate about it. We thrive in it. We get exposed to it. We're excited about it. We make the process even better because we start chopping things that we don't like. And we start focusing on more things that we do like, and that's how you're accelerating your career a lot faster. So I would say like, talk to people, ask them, Hey, can you tell me you've been a senior data analyst now for three years? What has been your biggest achievement? What do you think has made like the biggest, you know, what have you learned the most in the past three years of senior data analyst that you wish you would have known starting out? Ask the answers to the question, ask them. And then, like I said, if you're like, oh, I realized that I really hate doing this aspect of it. And I've become a senior data analyst. I'm going to be doing even more of that. Maybe I should consider looking at to other departments, other types of roles, maybe other industries that may not have to do that so much. Or maybe I should just think about other um, type of jobs that may be a better fit because clearly uh, this is just something I truly dislike. Makes sense. And then if somebody's come to you for help, what should they do to prepare to make their own process easier? So if they if they were coming to me for help with so at the at the end of the day, what I look for is someone that is coachable. So if you're if you're thinking, well, I don't know if I can get a job because of the economy and how things are going and the unemployment rate and whoever's president, I you know, I just I'm not going to be able to, that's why I haven't gone ahead. And that's why I haven't had a job. Well, guess what? I can't change that. I can't change who's president. I can't change the economy. I can't change where you went to school. I, I cannot, I have no control over that. But if you're thinking, Hey, I want to work with someone that can help me. I know that I'm willing to learn anything. I know that maybe I just don't know how to sell myself. I don't know how to approach it or what to do. But if someone just taught me or showed me how, I would implement and take action. Well, guess what? I can help you because I can help. I can. I already have the strategies that have been proven and tested against pandemics and people with no experience, people with a lot of experience. I've had stay-at-home moms who haven't worked in 15 years and after working with me can get jobs within 90 days and get paid really good salaries. They don't have to start from scratch. So if that's all you need strategies and execution, what to do and how to do it, I can help you with that. You are totally my ideal client because again, you have a different mindset. Again, I know sometimes, well, I want this job, but I don't, I didn't graduate from an Ivy League degree. Okay. Well, I can't change that. You already went to school. You already graduated that. But you're like, I know that there's some people that work there. They don't have Ivy League degrees, but I want to know how they did it. And as soon as I know how to do it, I know I, I'm willing to do anything to work at this company. Great. I can help you find those strategies. I know how to implement. We'll work together and practice it until you are confident and ready to go and have those conversations. So if that's, that's the most important thing, mindset. Everything else is like, oh, I don't have experience or I don't know. I'm not an expert yet. Don't worry about it. Everyone has a market differentiator and it's all about branding and how we brand the situation. And what I mean by that is um, when I was looking for my next job, I applied to a job and it said that it required a nursing degree or clinical background. I did not have any clinical background or nursing degree whatsoever. So by paper, I look already underqualified. I still applied. If you qualify for 30, 40% of the job posting, go ahead and apply. So I applied to the job. 
And they, and I asked them, you know, do I have your support moving forward to next steps? And they said, you know what, Claudia, I think you're great, but we're looking, looking for someone in a clinical background. It is, we're we're a hospital. So you're going to have to work with a lot of clinicians. And we really want someone that has that, um, that acumen, the clinical acumen and can really understand um, clinical terms. I totally understand that, Zeke. Thank you for sharing that with me. Based on what we discussed and what your biggest objective or goal is for this role is to improve the patient experience. I can help you with the patient experience because I am your ideal client. I don't have a a clinical background. I don't have a nursing degree. So if I can't understand it, our patients can't understand it. And I will work, you know, with the patients to really understand where are those gaps and how we can fill those gaps in order to help them feel at ease and feel like they're at a great hospital and they're supported. And we want to be able to provide those resources to them. I got the job and a 30K salary increase. Let's just say I did have that experience. And they're like, well, Claudia, you know what? We are looking for someone that doesn't have clinical experience or a nursing degree. You know, thank you for sharing. It sounds like you're looking to improve the patient experience. And as a clinical, as a clinician and a nursing background, there's a lot of medical terminology out there that's hard to translate. And I do this in every day with my patients that I currently work with. And even with my family members, they don't have that clinical background. And I'm able to come in and really understand what that means and be able to translate that to someone that doesn't have a clinical background. And I, that's why I'd be an asset to the organization because I can't understand that information. And I can you know, speak to in clinical terms to all our clinicians, our doctors, our physician's assistants, and all the rest of the nurses. And I can connect with them because I understand where they're coming from. I can argue either side. It doesn't matter. It just depends what side I'm in. And then I'm going to find a reason to argue that side. So either way, they're like, oh, that actually does sound good too. But it, again, I had preparation in order to build that argument. And I, I'll be, you know, candidates that had nursing degrees, clinical backgrounds, and I was still able to get a salary increase just because I had time to prepare and build that argument. Nice. Mm -hmm. And thank you for being on the podcast. So coming down to the end. So the last question would be, what would you name your origin story? Okay. So that is a good question. Like if I had to name my origin story is I guess mindset or like minds designing my design, your mindset, like to achieve success, because like I said, I I grew up from humble beginnings. Um, You know, my, I grew up on food stamps. Uh, I was homeless at some point, like we lived in a homeless shelter. My mom and my dad had sixth grade education. No one around me, you know, really had any college degree. I had to navigate like the whole FAFSA application I, my mom never took me to college tours or anything. I had to do this on my own. I have a rare blood illness that has no cure and because it's so rare. And yet, if you look this on paper, and this is usually happens to marginalized um, communities and, you know, persons of color is, well, she should have been pregnant already. And, you know, at the age of 16, like that she grew up in poverty, like that just makes sense. It's part of the statistic. You're just another stat. And for whatever reason, God willing, you know, had me looking, he was looking out for me. And now I'm in a different mindset. I, all I, like, I see abundance everywhere. I grew up 
in scarcity. And yet I see abundance. I'm grateful to just have a pantry full of food. I'm grateful to live in a safe home. I'm grateful to have a roof over my head. And, you know, a lot of these things, like my past is still there. And I had a very, you know, pretty traumatizing past. Like what I'm telling you, like, like the nice stuff, like the PG version of like, what was my upbringing? But I don't let that stop me. And it's because I've you know really worked a lot and invested and done a lot of the work on helping my mindset. I see people that I grew up with where they're thinking, no, I can't get ahead. My parents don't even have you know degrees. That's why I don't graduate from college. Or here's why I can't do this because of you know where I grew up. And you know, we can either t- make those excuses or we can make those our like our fuel in order to do better and do better. No, I don't have a network, so I need to go build one. Oh, I don't know how to build one. That means I need to find somebody to teach me. I'll read a book. I'll read a course. I'll watch whatever that is in order to gain that skill set to get me where I would need to be and want to be. So again, it's a lot about mindset and, you know, come with that was being grateful. And of course, now I found God. So it's like, I, I have a lot more faith in, you know, in things where I didn't have growing up. But again, it all started with my mind. And once you know how to build a mind that serves you, um, that's when you start seeing success. That's when you start becoming unstoppable. Nice. Definitely got changed how you look at the life, look at the world, and then it becomes easier, not fighting two battles at the same time. Yeah. And I'm not talking about you know, there are some things that are unfortunate, systemic racism. Like, I'm not saying like, oh, it doesn't exist. That's not what I'm talking about. It's more of, I can control me. I, unfortunately, I can do my best, but I can do more in like activism and protesting and funding associations that are going to, you know, deconstruct the systemic racism out there. But I can't do that if I'm in poverty. I can't do that if I'm in scarcity. I can't do that if I don't have time and resources for even my family and everything. So how can I get there? How can I get resources? How can I be successful in order for me to triple or quadruple or get disproportionate results and then fund and do the things that I want and I'm very passionate about? So like, it's really understanding that difference and, you know, again, having beliefs that serve you. Nice. So again, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Zeke. No problem. And where can people find you? They can go to my website at claudiatmiller.com. I'm also on Instagram at Claudia T. Miller and on LinkedIn, Claudia T. Miller. So if you want, like your listeners want more free content or, you know, they want to learn more, or maybe they're job searching or their year-end reviews are coming out. I, I do a lot of, and give away a lot of free resources on my website, LinkedIn and Instagram. So that way, you know, they can follow along and listen to more, you know, tips kind of like what I shared today. And I hope, Everyone found it helpful. And if any out person out there implements, takes action, sees success, leave a review and let us know what you did and how it went. Because I always love to hear these stories. That brings another episode of the Last Cat Podcast so close. Again, I'd like to thank Colin Miller for being a guest on the podcast. But next week, I have David Quilson to speak about his series, Harry Tubman, Demon Slayer. I hope you continue that day and I hope to see you there.